Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Need Some Introduction, another solo episode with your host, Victor, here. So I teased this earlier in the week when I dropped the episode where we reviewed, where I recapped and reviewed the latest episode of Severance, that I'm going to try to, in the future, as a technologist, personally, trying to add some technological perspective to things that are happening in pop culture or just in the news. And this first episode was going to be about that QR code story. And we probably all used that QR code that we saw during the Super Bowl ad. And just the way the media was covering that, I oftentimes feel that the media covers these technological stories in a strange way or hysterical way oftentimes. But I've kind of put that on the back burner, although we will discuss that at some future point. And this episode is going to be about the crisis in the Ukraine. I'm not a journalist, so I'm not going to speak on the political ramifications of all of this, although there's a lot of complexity here, and maybe I will touch on some of them over the course of this commentary. But primarily, I'm going to talk about it from the point of view of technology. This particular story intersects a lot with the world we live in now from a technological perspective, and I do want to touch on some of these topics. And hang in there, I'm going to set some context for this situation. And then as well, I will be pointing you to some resources where you can take some actions to protect yourselves against potential hacking activity. There will be a lot of hacking coming in the near future. There'll be some spillover inadvertent from what's happening in the Ukraine and then direct, direct attacks on the West as well. And then finally, I'm not a journalist, like I mentioned, but I am a very interested bystander, as we all should be. And I do think of some ways this might all play out. And that'll be at, at the end of this section. Beyond that, to round out this episode, just a very, very frivolous topic, honestly. But uh, Euphoria just wrapped up this week. I have a very complicated relationship with this show in that I find it very good sometimes and very irritating at other times. And I wonder to myself, why am I still watching this? And I'm going to explore that in some detail here as well. Before that, a few calls to action. If this is the first time you're hearing this podcast, we are currently recapping the Apple TV Plus severance tv show and our second recap episode just dropped this week earlier this week so i do highly recommend you check out that show if you haven't it's very interesting if you do not have apple plus apple tv plus target is currently giving it away so just google target apple plus offer or something similar and you'll find that offer it's good through for four months i believe for so you can have apple tv plus for free for four months before we get into it any deeper just to let everybody know this is purely a labor of love. None of us get paid for any of this. I'm your editor, your host, your promoter, <laughs> and the very little money that we make off of this go to overhead for posting, distribution fees, etc., and editing, of course. So if there's any way you'd like to support us, and we really do appreciate the support, if you're a loyal, loyal listener, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any app you use. Definitely recommend us to your friends and family if you think they'll benefit from this conversation or are interested in these topics. And we love feedback. So please email us at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com with any feedback you might have. So those are some free and hopefully easy ways that you can support us here so we can keep making this show if you find it valuable. With that all out of the way, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. I'm sure by the time I post this, the news will have already changed on this. So this is a very, very quickly evolving story. I was very frustrated in the news just a couple of weeks ago. People were, many voices were saying that this invasion was not going to happen. Putin was just saber rattling. It was not going to happen. And of course, the day after the Olympics, some folks had 
speculated that he was holding off until the end of the Olympics to keep the Chinese from being too angry with him. Literally the day after the Olympics, the initial invasion, and then a full-scale invasion just a day after that. So this is accelerating very quickly. And I honestly don't know what Putin's endgame is here. I don't see how he wins in this circumstance, other than purely a show of force. And there is a tradition of strong leadership gaining populist support in Russia. That's a lot of speculation. <laughs> what I do want to talk about is how technology intersects with this story. First of all, primarily, we want to talk about hackers. The reality is that the power that Russia still wields comes from two different arenas. I guess I would actually say three, although one of them overlaps. First of all, their main relationship with the outside world is as an energy producer and primarily to the EU, primarily within the EU, to Germany and France. So yet another little digression, another reason that we need to alleviate ourselves of this dependency on fossil fuels. When you think about whether it is the Middle East, whether it is Venezuela, whether it is these corrupt military regimes in Africa, whether it is Russia, think of where we in the West get our oil from and how problematic all those regions are. Now, we do create most of our own natural gas, we, the United States, and our biggest import region, our biggest import country is actually Canada, outside of our own. Saudi Arabia is number three, I think, at this point. So we've done a pretty good job of becoming more energy independent. The rest of Europe does not have our natural gas deposits, so they can't do this, but we're all in this together, basically. So that's my two cents on whether we should become more energy independent. But we do live in this circ current circumstance. So the second place that Russia gets a lot of their power from, or most of their power from, is, of course, their military might. They have nuclear weapons. They have a very large army. They are pretty advanced, or very advanced, technologically, from a military perspective. But the most powerful thing they have, the most uh, powerful threat they have, is, of course, nuclear weapons. And honestly, that's the reason why we can't just treat them like a North Korea or of Venezuela, for example, the nuclear threat is legitimate. And you see Putin right now threatening it himself. But part of what I consider their military branch, but we can branch it off here separately, they truly dominate when it comes to hacking. Part of that is because this is a safe space. Russia itself is a safe space for hackers. Putin has basically encouraged these hackers as long as they do not hack the Russian oligarchs or the, the people who have power within Russia itself. So if you're a friend to Russia or if you are Russian, you should not be hacked. Otherwise, it's free reign. To that point, in a recent study or the most recent study, which published in November, I believe, just of this few months back, the U.S. government did an analysis that showed over a billion dollars of ransomware in the United States. And that's just ransomware. There's other types of scams online. But purely from ransomware, there was a billion dollars paid out in ransomware, over a billion dollars in the past year. And in that report, and this is months before we had this circumstance, that was expected to accelerate significantly to perhaps as much as $2 billion in this current 2022. I would speculate at this point that that number is going to go much higher, not only in the U.S., but in the West in general. Expect to see Europe have a significant increase in ransomware attacks. The ransomware attacks will continue because, first of all, Russia needs that money. They are at war with the West. They are going to lose the tenuous 
consumer relationship they have with the West. They will not be able to, if all these sanctions are in place, it's going to be hard for them to buy things from the West, like food and other products. You've probably noticed that there are no Russian cars driving around. You see South Korean cars. You see Chinese cars in parts of the region, parts of the world, not that much in the United States. You see, obviously, American cars, Canadian cars. You see manufacturing equipment from Europe, from China. You see electronics from all over the world. You do not see Russian televisions. You do not see Russian laptops, rarely anyway. You do not see Russian automobiles or manufacturing equipment. So they need to import all those things. They can't make their own microchips for their computers, Not definitely not high-end ones. So their economy will be significantly constrained if this continues to drag on. What they can do, however, is to, first of all, perpetrate crimes on the West, ransoming for cash, and this could be hackers that are working for the government, or they can, these can be hackers that are simply lining their own pockets, but Putin will encourage them to do so because any disruption to the West is good for Russia. But this is a double-edged sword. You hear just, to, just this week, Anonymous, which is this collective of white hat hackers, white hat high hackers consider themselves to be doing social good through their hacking, have declared war on Putin and his cronies. It's a very wide-reaching international group. The Ukraine, which also has a very advanced technological force, has recruited 175,000 volunteers from around the world to be online hackers for them, so against Russia. So we're talking about denial of service attacks on Russian servers. So as I mentioned, this is legitimately a war that's happening in cyberspace. We've already seen the Russians as they made their attacks into the Ukraine, preemptively took out data centers and military computer systems inside of the U Ukraine, blinded them as they approached. So this is a tactic that Russia has used in the past with each one of these different incursions that they've made, and they're doing it again here. There's no reason if the West truly aligns against them, and I do recommend, by the way, <laughs> even though I'm going to scare you a little bit with some of the things I'm about to say, I do still think that we have to stand up to the bully, as Biden said, for the simple fact that there's no reason for him to stop if he's successful today. So with that out of the way, we have to expect that there will be retaliation beyond the borders of the Ukraine and Russia, and I mean a cyber attack on the West. And that can include North Korea as well, who have back-channel connections with Russia. China also has their own hacking capabilities. I think they'll stay out of the fray considering their relationship, their need to have friendly relations with the West from a consumer perspective, but that's always a possible risk as well. So that sounds pretty scary, right? All out war, we've already seen infiltrations of our systems here. We've found viruses, Russian software running on some of our infrastructure here in the United States. So there's legitimate risk that this can happen. Now that I've terrified you, I want to let you know that there are things we can all do and we should all do collectively that will make ourselves safer and collectively make the country safer as well. You can be patriotic by doing the right thing with your technology, especially if you're a business owner. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you a two-hour <laughs> breakdown on your 20 Im imminent things that you need to do to secure your network. But what I will say, rather than allowing people to get terrified by the news, is that when you see these big hacks, when you see the pipeline hack that happened last year, one of the biggest hacks in the history of the United States, these hacks occur because, for example, a password 
had leaked onto the internet. A quick search of some of these websites will tell you that your password has been compromised. And regardless, this large corporation had never reset those passwords knowing, or if they had done their due diligence, knowing that that password was compromised. On top of that, it was an employee that no longer worked at the company. So just regular policy to deprecate their credentials would have resolved, would have prevented, I should say, the problem in the first place. And lastly, they did not have multi-factor authentication. So even if the password had leaked, and then if the IT staff or the policy internally did not delete the account for an expired employee, multi-factor authentication would have disabled or disallowed any external access to the network. So it was multiple failures in a mission-critical network that allowed this to happen. And honestly, if most people did these very, very basic things, they would be able to prevent most of these network infiltrations, ransomware, cyber attacks. So rather than talking for two hours about all the things you can do, I'll just point you at a very simple resource that will give you all these things I'm going to suggest anyway, and even more. First of all, Everybody State, this is funded by the government, has a cyber, a branch of cybersecurity. And I don't know all of them off the top of my head, but you know, do some Googling and you'll find them, but I will direct you to, I'm in New Jersey. I will direct you to a very good website managed by New Jersey, which is cyber.nj.gov. So C-Y-B-E-R dot N-J, like New Jersey, dot gov. And from this website, you will see, for example, a weekly bulletin showing local risks. Like if they have found software, they think it's infiltrating certain networks. If there are large cyber attacks in your region, in your area, You'll see this in this weekly summary. Right now, their top headline is this Russia-Ukrainian cyber threat assessment. It literally is what they're telling you, all the things I'm suggesting here right now, that there are ways that you can mitigate your risk of being infiltrated and becoming a victim of espionage or cyber attacks. And I am literally have the article open right now. I'm scrolling down, and like I mentioned before, fraud on the internet cost Americans $5.8 billion. So... Just another reason that, you know, just for your own pocketbook, good hygiene, good internet hygiene will prevent most of these things. So a few quick suggestions. If you are a business owner, if you do believe you've been breached or if you know you've been breached, sometimes people aren't afraid to make the announcement, but you don't know what risks remain on your network if you do not have an assessment done. So if you have been breached, go to this cyber portal for your state, New Jersey, for example, Report the attack. There are resources that can be sent to help you do the assessment. To protect yourself at all times, make sure you're doing data backup. Any important mission-critical systems and files have to be backed up. That's on your, that's in a corporate environment, but also I'm going to get to your personal hygiene, uh, internet hygiene as well. Also make sure you have backups for your local devices or for your personal devices. It's more complicated with businesses, so like I mentioned, re seek out these resources, but for you individuals, some very basic things you can do, especially if you're working from home. If you're working from home and you have your kids are on the same network as you are, this can be very risky. If your kids have Android devices, we buy our kids cheap tablets. They install God knows what on their phones. Some of these Android specifically, I'm calling out Android here, not because it's a bad operating system, but because of the way their store policy is. You can find many times apps that have problematic software running inside of them. 
You can see these risk assessments, by the way. You can track down and Google them to find out which apps you should not be installing or set up an alert so that you know, get notified. But you should definitely know what your kids are installing on their phones. But more importantly, whether you have a device like Eero, which I have in my home, but whether you have some kind of mesh Wi-Fi system or you're just using your cable companies provided routers, you have the ability of creating multiple networks. So I know you need to read the instruction manual, but I would recommend split your network into two different networks, one for work, one for home use. Put your kids' devices and even your personal devices. Like if you have a smart TV, they're probably not patched very frequently. That's another pointer. Make sure you patch whenever a new patch is available, patch or just set up auto patch. So if you have a smart TV, etc., make sure that is logging into a separate network than your corporate network. When you are logged into work, have a separate Wi-Fi ID that is only for your corporate work, uh, corporate network devices. This will ensure that you do not have cross-pollination between these different devices because they will be on two different networks. There will be a firewall between them, basically. So definitely do that if you're working from home. Definitely patch your computers. A lot of times, especially when you're working remotely, you have to allow time for the patch to happen. You can cancel it if it's slowing down your computer, if you get impatient. If that's the case, let it run, go out to lunch, come back later, make sure your computers are patched. Beyond that, make sure you do not reuse passwords. Get a password manager, whether it's LastPass or whether you're already paying for some kind of VPN service, which can be risky, by the way, make sure you're using a real VPN and not one of these scam VPNs. And once again, just do some research for best VPN services. The free ones can be can have uh, risks associated to them. But if you're paying for uh, antivirus protection and they include a password manager, make sure you use your password manager. You, if you're using a Chrome browser, for example, and you're logged in with your Google credentials, you can also save all your passwords there and they will give you warnings. You're using the same password on multiple, multiple websites. You can manage them there so you don't have to remember them all because that's a big pain, right? People always use the same password because they don't want to remember them. Let them create automatically complicated passwords and then you don't have to remember them as long as you have some kind of keychain with all your passwords in it that you can access, whether that's LastPass, a paid service like that, or like I mentioned, Google, Microsoft offers something similar. And of course, you probably have this on your notice on your iPhones or on your mobile devices. You also have the ability of recalling passwords using your fingerprint or some other way of identifying yourself. So use a password manager. Do not recycle your passwords, especially if they're very simple. You know, if it's your birth date or just a sequence of numbers, these are very easy to hack. But your password doesn't even matter. Doesn't even matter if you use multi-factor authentication. All your email accounts, all of your accounts can allow you to have multi-factor authentication called MFA or sometimes 2FA, two-factor authentication, which simply means if you log in to your Gmail account for the first time, it's a new computer, you're at a hotel and you log in for the first time, you'll suddenly get, and you may have experienced this if you have this turned on, you'll get a text message on your phone saying, hey, did you just log in from this computer? Something as simple as that will keep your accounts from being infiltrated because even if someone is smart enough to bypass, they cloned your phone, and now they're able to intercept that text message and say yes. Even if that happened, you still are aware that someone has accessed your account. Without multi-factor authentication turned on, you have no awareness of this. Google does a very good job of, just as one example, of warning you when something like this happens. And beyond that, 
you can even go to your Google history and it can tell you all the locations you've logged in from. So you can just look at it and say, wait a second, I, I wasn't in that town in September. Who logged in from there? So at least you get some awareness that something's happening on your accounts. And last of all, this is an old hack, but believe it or not, it still happens very frequently. Do not find any USB flash drives and put them, plug them into your computer. Do not do it. Not even to reformat them because as soon as you plug them in, there could be an auto run function that will install software onto your computer. So don't do it. If you're using an iPhone or an Android, by the way, make sure you use cloud storage. Even if you know you were saying, I don't wanna pay the 99 cents a month when I exceed a certain amount, just pay the 99 cents. You do not wanna lose that device. If you have your iCloud enabled, and Android once again has similar functionality, you are backing up all the contents, all those important files to, to the Apple Cloud. But more importantly, you lose your phone. You have the ability of remotely logging into your iCloud accounts on any other device, verifying your identity, and then you can brick the phone. You can, you can disable the device permanently. So someone can't get onto the device and steal, like they may be able to reformat it in the future possibly, but they can't get access to your files because you have disabled the, the, the device remotely. So if the, and also you have like, find my iPhone, find my device. So as soon as they enable it, even if they're trying to get into it, you can see it. So you can actually identify the person on the other end. You can see where they are. You can take pictures of them. These are all things that are possible if you have your iCloud enabled. Plus, of course, if you do brick your phone, if you kill it, because you just don't want the risk of it out there, then you could buy any Apple device in the future, log into your iCloud account. You've probably done this if you bought a new phone in the last few years, and then it will rebuild the phone from where it was. So all your files, all your pictures, all your videos, especially very important if this is a work phone. So enable cloud backup on your device. Pay for the extra storage if you have to. It's not that much money. Don't be a cheapskate. And if you are using an Android device, very importantly, one of the main reasons that the iPhone is so much more secure than an Android device is that iPhone's storefront is guarded. So it's more expensive. It's more time consuming. People are annoyed by having to publish their apps there. But having a central storefront for all of their apps means that it goes through an additional vetting process. And in that vetting process, most of the time prevent these malicious software from getting into their stores, even though it still has happened occasionally. One last thing before we move on beyond iPhone, don't jailbreak your phones. I mean, if you're younger, you may very well have tried to jailbreak your phone to put in other software, you know, being able to download, install these apps from these bootleg websites can put viruses onto your device. On the Android front, Android has much less secure storefront, but when you go to install new software, look on the main approved Google storefront. If you only find an app on one of these side storefronts or only via a direct download from a, a website that you have no familiarity with, do not install that software. Do not install it. And even then, there are antivirus tools you can run on your mobile devices. Make sure you do run them, especially if you're running on Android. And one last warning with uh, Android is that... Once again, a frustration for me as a technologist is that not everything that you can do, all the native functionality for mobile devices is available in what they call a progressive web app, a PWA, which is basically a web app. It's an app that runs in a browser. Now, a nice thing about Android is that they do give you full native device functionality via these applications that run in browsers. The risk there is if you do open a website from some sketchy company, 
that you now have opened yourself up to potentially having your device hijacked or infiltrated in some way, even if it's just stealing your contact information via these progressive web apps. So to that point, there are, once again, very carefully when you are setting up your device, make sure you set your security at the highest possible level so that when a progressive web app suddenly is trying to access your contacts, it will actually send you a notification to your screen immediately saying the following app is trying to access your contacts. Would you like to enable this? And you've probably seen this when you're on websites. Sometimes you can say, enable this once, enable this for this website, but only this website. So by having as much granular control in how you access these things, you can prevent these infiltrations. And if you're building one, by the way, as a developer, I would always recommend that if you are building these apps, whether they are mobile native apps or something in a web app, be as unobtrusive as possible because you never know when someone can hijack your code and potentially use that. If your app has carte blanche access to someone's device and you have a popular app, you are open to potentially being infiltrated by a hacker as well because they want to get their hands on your code because via your code, they can get into those networks. This happened through some MSPs that allowed hackers to infiltrate some large corporations last year as well, managed service providers, MSPs, which basically they have remote agents so that they can back up and manage, do your IT remotely. And guess what? They got hacked. And now since they have access to their clients' devices, they had become the gateway for these hackers. So when you're designing the code as well, as little as possible, set your security at the highest level and be as unobtrusive as possible. And you, as the consumer of the app, make sure you set those security settings as high as possible. Even if it's annoying, every time I open this, it's always asking me, should I, do I give permission to access my photos? Better that than this thing is running in the background, accessing your photos without you knowing about it. All right, so I do hope that is useful to you. I will include in the show notes some links to some articles that have way more information about all these topics than I can provide. I'm usually very critical of the way the media has been covering these things. I actually think that in this regard specifically about the cyber threat, this is something they simply were not talking about a week ago. And now just starting today, honestly, you're starting to see a lot of stories about this. And these are very good stories. So they are on this cyber threat conversation and they're doing a pretty good job at this moment. <laughs> I'm sure their headlines will get more and more hysterical uh, because you got to get those clicks, right? So in the future, hopefully, these topics will not be as doom and gloom. I do want to talk about that QR code and the uproar around that during the Super Bowl. I do want to talk about what is cryptocurrency. I want to tell you about, like, what are NFTs? What is an NFT? What is the blockchain? And what is the future of securing our networks using, like, zero trust as a security protocol? So these are all things that you may have heard in the news, but you don't know what they mean. I want to touch uh, touch on these in as simple and explanatory way as I can. And also, especially I want to address how it does impact like our day-to-day -day lives. So they're talking about it, not as in some pie in the sky speculation, but how it does impact our day-to-day -day lives. Unfortunately, for the next few weeks, I'm probably going to continue to talk about this Ukrainian story as more technological aspects of the story evolve. So stay tuned. And I do plan to regularly have some segment during the week where we have some kind of tech corner. I doubt it will be as long as this one. This is going to probably be pretty long <laughs> and I don't expect them to all run this long, but 
There's a lot more to talk about in this regard. Check the show notes for some of the best articles, I think, around these topics and just some resources. For example, the Federal Cyber Awareness webpage, as well as your state ones as well. On a much, much, much lighter note, a very, very dark show, but believe it or not, a light <laughs> topic considering we're talking about an invasion of a sovereign country, which is horrible, of course. But as dark as this show can be, euphoria, uh, lighter in than <laughs> our, you know, my previous commentary. So I have a question to myself all the time, which is, why am I watching euphoria? I watched the first season or I should say I began to watch the first season based primarily on the trailer for it. I, I loved the style. I loved the almost giallo-like, over-the-top neon color palette and sonic palette of those trailers. And the show, it's not one of those things where what you got in the trailer and what you got on the show was different or that they toned it down after the pilot, which happens frequently as well. This is Sam Levinson. Barry Levinson, very famous director, by the way, Barry Levinson's son, but it is his brainchild and it did not put the brakes on after that pilot episode. It is full steam ahead. It is over the top every possible moment. So I did watch it when it first premiered. And I remember watching the first two episodes, I think it was. And I told my wife at the time, I was like, I don't know if you want to watch that show. She hasn't seen any of it yet, but maybe she will start watching it now. And I said to her, I don't know if you want to watch this or not. It is so over the top, and it's very funny that you see how millennials are less and less sexually active than they were generations before. The availability of internet-specific sex, for example, is so abundant to, and it's terrifying, by the way, as the parent of a child, of a daughter, that this is, uh, you know, it's, that it's out there. And also the same thing for potentially drugs, right? We hear about every single day on the news, once again, the media blowing everything out of proportion. We hear about some crazy situation where someone is luring girls using TikTok or someone met somebody on the internet and they're go on a crime spree or, you know, drugs are available readily through, through the mail. They just come in the, in the mailbox. All these things are true. But when you look at the actual drug use among teens, the actual sexual activity of teens, venereal diseases, uh, teen pregnancies, all these numbers are way down, like historically down to extremely low rates. For example, just the drug use is a fraction of what it was per capita, that is, versus where it was in the 60s and 70s and the 90s even. Uh, same thing with teen births and um, 
sexual activity in general. And yet, because the media reinforces this hysteria around everything, going back to what I was just saying in the previous uh, segment, there's this tendency to believe this, right? And, and it's, it's concern trolling, right? It really is, once again, the, the internet is primarily, and the people who write these stories are primarily interested in getting a reaction, positive or negative. And I felt like that is what this show was doing. It was creating a world which is like your, like as a parent, I was about to say your parents' worst nightmare. If you're young enough, it is your parents' worst nightmare. But for me as a parent, my worst nightmare of what is happening with these kids, which is basically soap opera when you come down to it, right? But it, it, it presents itself as almost prestige television. At the same time, it is really practically soap opera. Oh, so one thing before I go any further, I am not going to spoil the show. So this is purely me talking off the top of my head. And, you know, if you have wondered whether you should watch the show or not, I will not spoil anything that's happened in the show at all. <laughs> I was about to say until the very end, I'll warn you when that happens. But you know what? I'm not going to spoil it at all. I don't think I need to go into any plot details, specifics to say what I'm what's on my mind to that point just trying to get a reaction. It's, it's, it could just be soap opera with the veneer of prestige television. And honestly, I think that's all true. And that was my impression from the start. So after the first two episodes, I'm like, all right, this show looks incredible. These performances are really great. The music is incredible. And I'm going to touch back on the music again, but I don't know if I can tolerate this, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this show is straight up ridiculous. And I think the main reason I had such a problem with it is because there's no, there's no air in this show. There's nobody, and except for maybe Lexi, and, and I will touch back on that as well. Everybody in the school, everybody is like hooking up online and, and doing drugs and is doing sex shows online. And it, it's so preposterous that this is the world we're seeing. And if this was these people's lives. It's just a sliver of the reality. And they're not all in gunfights, hanging out with drug dealers, dying, uh, having sex <laughs> with uh, uh, adults on, on dating apps uh, or sex apps. If this was just a sliver, this is like the outlier or potentially the story of a person sliding into this dark side when the rest of the world is still this normal, uh, relatable world, I think this would be really compelling potentially without qualms, because it still is compelling, to be honest. But on the other hand, what we get is this, like, where is the real world? Like, where where is anything real in this show? It is like a science fiction show. It's so preposterous in all of that. So that's, to be clear, that's my initial impression of the show. Then it wrapped up, and there was a lot of buzz. This is like the buzziest show on the internet, of course, and, and it happened to me again. I got sucked in once, once again, but so buzzy on the internet, I was like, okay, I gotta see if I can make it through, and I watched, I binged the rest of the first season, a lot of episodes, by the way, and long ones, and during that binge, I was whipsawing back and forth between being so irritated with what they were doing and then being really impressed with certain episodes or performances and just going back and forth and back and forth. I thought that they landed perfectly. I loved the finale of season one and I really felt like as frustrated as I was so with so much of that show, I really did appreciate where that show landed. I really thought it was really impressive. Zendaya gives a great performance. It's like just a beautiful episode just to outline it briefly. It's just this not much of a spoiler, by the way, here. Sorry. So this is minor spoilers if you haven't seen it at all. But she's ODing, and we're really in her perspective. She is reliving this trauma that kind of is the trigger for a lot of the, the her bad behavior now. 
and the music is playing, and it's just this kaleidoscopic, surreal walk through her mind. It's great work. And uh, I was really impressed. I think that regardless of anything else, I think whether you like the show or hate it, that I think it's undeniable that Sam ne- uh, Levinson, who's directed the most important episodes of season one, but all of season two, all of it, is a real talent. I mean, he just has a real force of vision. I think it really pulls off. And in no small part, this is Labyrinth, the composer for most of the music. It's just the total package. Labyrinth's music is literally another character in this show. The music is great. It meshes perfectly with the visuals. Really, really confident, beautiful visuals from the cinematographer and Levinson as director. And then whoever's the music supervisor, whoever is actually picking these tracks, once again, these tracks go viral too. They just pick the perfect song, older songs for each one of those scenes. So they're just these perfect little moments, usually bumping up against each other in the most ridiculous ways. But it doesn't matter because from moment to moment, this thing is a rush. It's euphoric, right? So there is an element to the show that feels like what it is trying to represent. So that's where I landed on, on season one. Then a handful of critics that I actually do bother to read and, and follow when season two came out had some negative things to say. So I was like, eh, I'll wait and see. So I did not follow the show from the beginning. But recently, over the past month or so, I have been catching up with the show so that I could be caught up by the time the finale dropped, which was just yesterday. I'm recording this on Monday, I believe. Is it still Monday? (laughs) The world is a blur. And I did catch up and watch the show. And my impression of this second season was very much like it was with the first season. And similarly to the first show, I was really irritated with the premiere episode. It's it's so over the top. It's kind of shocking what they're able to show on network television with the full frontal nudity and stuff. I mean, honestly, you could not put this out in the movie theater, but you can watch it on, put it on TV. And the audience, that's probably the average audience watching this is probably much younger than the ones that are watching things in the movie theater. So it's very strange to me. But uh, regardless of, you know, the way censorship works in this country, I don't think that they should ban this show, by the way, regardless of what they show. I don't think that it's, uh, I mean, I think it's not just there for shock. So I think that gives it some value. Uh, but I just find it funny that you could not get away with some of this in a movie theater, but you can get away with it on television, which, of course, is far more accessible. But I did caught up, catch up with the show. And I mean, I'd say that the MVPs for this season are probably Fez and Lexi. I really enjoy their chemistry here. And I'm really glad that they spent more time with Lexi, played by Maud Apatow, Judd Apatow's uh, oldest daughter, because it does allow there to be a world where regular people live. <laughs> you know, there is drama. Everything in high school feels like drama, I'm sure. And I'm sure that's part of the appeal of the show. But here we have a smart girl who's not a drug addict, who's not in constant drama, in constant danger, and is far more relatable, who has a buddy romance with a drug dealer, by the way, who also has, uh, I know is a fan favorite uh, on the show. And uh, especially this season, I really see the appeal. This season had its hits and misses. But overall, I think it's worth the investment in time. And that's the irony of it, is that there are probably shows that wouldn't irritate me as much as this one does. But I think that's part of the appeal, is almost to see, like, am I going to like this episode, or is it going to really piss me off? (laughs) Which makes it more compelling to watch, right? Uh, So that's my general opinion of it. As for the finale, once again, no spoilers. I thought last week's episode, Lexi's putting on a, a show with incredible production values, by the way. But I thought last week's episode was really amazing, seeing her story and just kind of expressing the creative process in writing events based on things that have actually happened, but finding healing within it and interpreting it in a way that was all very interesting thematically. 
but primarily just once again, something that that show has done so beautifully, being able to show these actors on stage performing. And of course, the actors we're watching on stage performing, right? So there's a layers of reality. But even within the context of the show, we don't know when we're watching the show, when we're seeing someone's memory, when we're inside of a, uh, a memory, and then when we're back on the stage again, this whole prismatic play of reality versus invention was great. I, I thought it was really, really well done. This finale, which was a continuation of that story, I thought was a little more on the irritating side for me, especially there's certain moments that I'm not going to break down here that I found very irritating and like the kind of the fate of one or the of uh, one of the um, characters seemed a little over the top, although maybe necessary given the age of the character. So it had its limitations, but I would say despite my irritation here, I think this is maybe a consistently better season than the first and we'll wait and see. I mean, I think I am probably going to watch the next season again. So, <laughs> and like I mentioned, uh, some of this irritation with the storyline is part of its appeal in a strange sort of way. All right. So if you have seen the show and you disagree, maybe you're a super fan, let me know what the appeal of the show is to you. If you hate the show vigorously, I'd love to hear your reaction too, because I can understand why. <laughs> I cannot make the argument as to why you should watch the show or not. But I do think Sam Levinson's a very talented director. A couple things that you might want to watch if you are a fan of the show. Sam Levinson directed a film called Assassination Nation. Assassination Nation. Just to make that clear because it's a little tricky, the title there. Which is interesting. That is more of a horror comedy with action elements as well. It's more ridiculous than anything in Euphoria, believe it or not. But given the fact that it's just a movie, it's still worth watching. It's available on Hulu if you want to see that. If you kind of want to see the origin of where was he before Euphoria. And as a matter of fact, so many things you're going to see in that all happen in Euphoria. Uh, they explicitly happen there. They often, oftentimes happen in like dream sequences and such in uh, the Euphoria show. And another thing you might want to watch, big question mark as, as to whether you want to watch this, is um, Malcolm and Marie, this black and white two-person, practically a, a play with Zendaya once again, giving a great performance, and John David Washington, really the only two people in the film shot during COVID, and written and directed by Sam Levinson. And it's pretty awful. <laughs> it's available on Netflix. But nonetheless, once again, as terrible as that film is, it's worth watching. You will definitely want to talk about it after you see it. Um, just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so complicated to get into here, but just some of the dialogue he gives these characters. To, you know, a white man is writing these, uh, putting these words in John David Washington's mouth. It's just that in itself is a provocation when you actually see the content of the film. But like I said, it's beautiful to look at. Zendaya is beautiful to look at. She gives a great performance, but it's, you know, it's in a lot of ways the worst elements of Euphoria. And maybe this is where Sam Levinson left to too much of his own devices like without any kind of edit or collaboration is maybe, maybe that's his limitation. So check that out if you are interested in him in general. And, you know, of course, you, if you're a fan of Zendaya. And like I mentioned, also Assassination Nation is in a bizarre sort of way, almost a pilot for Euphoria, the, despite the fact that it's in a very different context. All right, so that's enough for me. Hopefully you enjoyed most of that, or some of it at least. Let me know what you thought. Stay tuned. I will be watching the new Batman movie, The Batman, this week. And sometime before the weekend or over the weekend, expect to see that review drop. Probably flesh out the rest of that episode with something else I've been watching. Uh, I may be telling you about a show coming to HBO Max called The Tourist, which I've started watching with Jamie Dornan. I'm intrigued so far. It's gotten rave reviews. I'm not 100% on board with it yet. But if it turns out to pay out 
in a good way. I'll include that review there as well. If not, there are so many things that dropped this week. I'm sure there'll be something else I can recommend. Follow us so you know when that episode becomes available. And of course, before I forget, the after party wrapping up this week, Sona and I will be discussing that. And of course, the next episode of Severance. Sona was also on vacation last week, so I'll get her opinion on the most recent episode of Severance. If you are watching that, I did recap it myself just a day ago, and we've already gotten a lot of listens on that. So I hope people enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Talk to you soon. Praise the Lord.